Welcome to Slate Church Online. We're so glad that you've joined us. We pray that wherever you're watching this from, that this message will bless you. If this message impacts you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@slatechurch.com. So can we just stand to our feet to honor the reading of God's word and welcome up Pastor Emma. Awesome. Thanks, Emily. Hot mic, hot mic. Worship team, you guys were awesome today. Thank you so much. So great. And listen... Rowan, I was just I was just feeling as we were worshiping together. I just want to, you know, we love to honor people here at Slate Church. I just want to honor you, honestly. Do you do you know the gift that you have on your life to bring people into worship? Like it is so tangible and so obvious to me. And I just really felt that God was saying to me that you are in training ground. The position that you're in, the place that you're in right now, even serving on events team and the ministry lead of worship, you are in training ground. So lean into it, get everything you can from it. But this is just the beginning. So I just want to encourage you with that. Yeah, really, really great. Awesome. Well, listen, why don't you guys grab a seat, get yourself comfortable. You know, as Emily was saying, it doesn't matter what your day has looked like up to this point. You are here. Let's be present. Let's lean in to what God has for us. Maybe you have had a really relaxing morning and you've just like had a hot cup of coffee, hasn't gotten cold, you drank that up. Maybe you went for a walk and enjoyed this beautiful day. Maybe you cleaned up poop that your toddler smeared all over uh, the toilet and the bathroom this morning. So maybe that was what your day looked like so far. Um, But whatever your day looked like, you're here. And it's good to be here, and it's good to be in Elmira this morning. Um, So listen, we are in our Bold Relationship series, and this is the very end of our Bold Relationship series, and I'm excited to cap it off this morning. It's going to be a really great morning together. I'm excited for what God has put on my heart. I had the opportunity to preach this message in Waterloo last week in the morning services, and I really feel that there's something powerful here. So just lean in to what we're going to talk about this morning. Does that sound okay? Awesome. We're going to jump right into scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 31. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. You can also just follow along on the screen behind me. It says this, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife must respect her husband. John 15, 12, my command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Can we pray this morning, church? Jesus, I thank you that we get to be here, that we get to worship you and come together in such a powerful way. I I thank you that you are the God of miracles, Lord, and that we can look to you in that. And Jesus, this morning, I pray that you would speak through me in a, uh, uh, an incredible way, God, and that relationships in this place would be strengthened through our time together today. In your name we pray, amen. amen. 
Amen. Well, as I said, we have been in our Bold Relationship series for about a month now, I would say. Uh, we've talked about friendships. We've been talking about romantic relationships. We've talked about our relationship with God and what that looks like and, and healthy relationships there. And this morning, I'm really going to focus in on uh, marriages. Is that okay? I'm going to really look at marriages and what it looks like to have healthy relationships as a married couple. Now, listen, I fully acknowledge and recognize that not everyone in this place is married. Maybe you're here and someday you want to be married. This is great. Take some notes, training ground, uh, uh, grow yourself before you get to that place. Maybe you don't want to get married and you're here and you're single and you're totally good with that. Listen, you probably have people in your life who are married and maybe you can uh, talk about it with them. But also, you know what? Like next week, we're not talking about relationships anymore. So you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Hang in there with me for this morning. If you want to hear something else, come to uh, Maxwell's tonight as well, and you can get another message tonight. It's going to be great. But we're going to talk about marriages, and I want to lean into marriages today because marriages are so important. Marriages are so significant, and sometimes we spend so much time before we get married thinking about marriage. We do some marriage prep before we get married, but then we find ourselves 10, 20, 30 years down the road, and we haven't really put that much effort and time and thought into our marriage. We've just kind of gone along with it, and it's important that we actually talk about marriage in the church and what healthy marriages look like because it affects your kids, it affects the people around you, it affects your legacy, it affects you as a person if you have an unhealthy marriage that you are living in day in and day out. You know, only 40% of marriages end in divorce because of crazy arguing that happens all the time. I think a lot of us think, okay, an unhealthy marriage is one that is full of conflict, full of anger, full of arguing. And that's only 40% of the time. More often, marriages end in divorce because they just kind of started to avoid each other. They lost their friendship. They lost the emotional relationship. They just became roommates, and then they got more and more complacent, and they just kind of fell apart. It's not necessarily that your house needs to sound like a battleground in order for your relationship to not be healthy. Silence between a husband and wife can be just as deadly. You know, I, I'm a pastor here at Slate Church, and I love that. I also am a, um, a, a psychotherapist, and I have a small private practice, and I work with couples, and I work with individuals, and that sort of thing. Now, if you go to Slate Church, it's a bit of a conflict of interest, so I can refer you to someone else. I'm certainly not up here going like, come, see me. That's not the point of me saying that. But I just want to let you know that there's some stats surrounding actually going and getting help for your marriage and the challenges that you face. And typically couples wait six years, six years from when they first notice that things are not awesome before they actually seek help. Six years, that's a long time to be living in an unhealthy relationship. And you better believe that by the time they actually get face to face with a therapist, one person is usually not living at home anymore. They're just on their last legs. They can't stand each other. Hate has creeped in. They just are falling falling apart. And listen, at Slate Church, we don't want to see last-ditch efforts be the norm in marriages. We want to talk about challenges now. We want to normalize it now. We want to see what God has for our relationships so that we can actually walk out in health here at Slate Church. Because relationships are a massive, massive component of our lives. Whether you're married or not, they are a huge part of our lives, and we are affected by them. You know, romance is something that 
just runs rampant in society. I mean, romance is something we love to talk about. It's something that we love to um, just advertise. It's something that we love to put out there. There's a show that's, that's on um, TV. I'm not promoting it, uh, but it's called The Bachelor. And I know that romance is something that we are absolutely fascinated with because on the previous season, the finale of The Bachelor had over 8 million viewers tune in to watch this. This is a lot of people that are looking to see what romance is going to come out of it, what drama is going to take place, what's going to happen, are they going to get engaged, what goes on. It's the most dramatic event in television history every single time, but people love it. We can make fun of it all we want, but people want to see romance. There's romance movies that come out, and we can, we can all kind of recognize and know the lines from them. Like, you had me at hello. I'm also just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. This one's great, and it's a little, like, the movie's not uh, that. It's very well-known, but it's not that well-known today. So you can just put this one in your back pocket. You should be kissed, and often, by someone who knows how. Come on. Come on. Steamy. Life is not the amount of breaths. That was gone with the wind, by the way. Life is not the amount of breaths you take. It's the moments that take your breath away. If you're a bird, I'm a bird. These, 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 these romance movies that just captivate us and pull us in. and The idea of happily ever after. This is the person I've been waiting for. This romance that takes place. You know, Valentine's Day was just a little over a week ago. Um, so sorry if you missed it. Uh, reminder, that already happened. But I was listening to the radio that week, and I was hearing some, some different thoughts about Valentine's Day. And the announcer was talking about uh, the amount of money that couples spend on Valentine's Day based on how long they've been together. So he was saying a couple that's been together two to six years, but two to six years spends about $150 on Valentine's Day. And I'm like, well, it's obvious Brandon and I have been together a lot longer because we spend nothing on Valentine's Day. We're like, you know, free card, like right down on a piece of paper. That's how we do Valentine's Day. $150, two to six years. Then they talked about six, six months to two years. And the announcer said that they spend about $500 on Valentine's Day. I'm like, this is insanity. Like, don't do that. Six months to two years. But then get this. I was just so shocked by this. He's like, how much do you think that a couple spends on Valentine's Day? They're like zero to six months. That's how long they've been together. Brand new, fresh relationship. I'm like, oh, this is going to be way down. This is going to be way less. $750 on average. I'm like, what? Are, who are you trying to impress here? This is crazy. But you know what? I asked a few people, and they're like, yeah, probably our first Valentine's Day together. We spent the most amount of money. Maybe not $750, but maybe the most amount of money. We love this idea of romance and celebrating and feelings of being in love and falling in love and, and, and these feelings of falling. This is the right term. When you're falling, gravity is pulling you. There's this feeling that you're out of control. And this is kind of what falling in love can be like. I love this quote by Gary Chapman, the author of The Five Love Languages. He says, being in love is an emotional and obsessive experience. However, emotions change and obsessions fade. Research indicates that the average lifespan of the in love obsession is two years. For some, it may last a bit longer, for some, a bit less, but the average is two years. 
Then we come down off the emotional high and those aspects of life that we had disregarded in our euphoria of be uh, uh, begin to become important. Our differences begin to emerge and we often find ourselves arguing with the person that we once thought to be perfect. We have now discovered for ourselves that being in love is not the foundation for a happy marriage. This in love romance feeling is not enough for a happy marriage. I'd highly recommend reading that book, The Five Love Language. Don't just take the test online, okay? Don't just do that. I have never talked to a man under the age of 30 who has not told me that physical touch is their love language. I'm like, okay, please tell me number two because that's actually your love language, all right? Um, but take the, read the actual book. Don't just do the quiz online. But listen, we see romance in scripture too. This is not something that just society talks about. There's an entire book of the Bible, Songs of Solomon. And it's like a romance novel. It's, it's a collection of poems all about a man and a woman and their steamy love story. It says, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. I called Brandon a young stag once and now we have Claire. I mean, this scripture is a powerful... <laughs> It's a powerful thing. <laughs> Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Romance is a beautiful, sometimes outrageous thing. But listen, if we are not careful, romantic relationships, marriages can actually become a distraction rather than a beautiful element that deepens our love for each other and for God. Yeah. Romance, romantic relationships, marriages are meant to actually show us who we are in Christ, draw us closer to him, lift us up, that we can actually get a clearer picture of who we are, not a, a, a distraction, not a, a, a relationship that we'd come home to and feel frustrated with and feel brought down by. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write down this title, Ruts and Relationships. Ruts and Relationships. I want to take some time to look at some of the ruts that we can fall into as married couples specifically that can sometimes distract us from what God actually has for us, that can distract us from the calling that is on our life. You know, a couple weeks ago, um, I had Claire, our 10-month-old, on our bed, and she's moving everywhere. So, like, leaving her there alone is not a good idea. So I had her there. I was folding up a towel or something like that, and she was reaching for something. So I kind of lunged across to grab her and put my elbow on the bed, and all of a sudden I hear this crack. All right. And the whole back end of our bed frame broke. I was like, okay, I know I've been gone on vacation. I know that we did that all-inclusive resort. I know I ate a lot of croissants at breakfast, but come on, did the bed actually have to break? And so I was like, are you kidding me? Like the bed broke and the whole back end was off. And I'm like, I'm not doing anything with this. I'm just leaving it exactly as it is. I told my grandma this, this, that night she was over. I'm like, our bed frame broke. She's like, Emma, you just have too much action going on in the bedroom. I'm like, grandma, this is what the heck? That was not it at all. But anyways, I, I immediately, we took the bed frame apart, put it in the garage. I immediately started to look up online uh, bed frames. I'm like, maybe this is a sign that we should upgrade to a king-size bed. These are the price options. These are the things that are going on there. And there's like, well, that's also expensive, so maybe we just need a different bed frame. And I'm, I'm researching that. I'm sending Brandon lists. He's like, okay, this is a bit aggressive for a bed frame. I'm like, these are the price options. This is what it could look like, all these sorts of things. And he picks up the phone and he calls me. He's like, 
you know, I think I can just fix the bed frame. I think I can just fix it. And I'm like, ah, oh, really? Like, we are going to get a king-size bed. I'm like, okay, try to fix the bed frame. That's great. And, and, uh, and that's, what, that's the plan moving forward. But I was thinking about this idea of this broken bed frame in terms of relationships. And I think sometimes we are in relationships and we feel that something has happened that has broken the relationship, whether completely or just a piece of it feels a little bit broken. And sometimes we do one of two things. Sometimes we start to look elsewhere pretty quickly and go, what else is out there? What is, maybe I could have a bit of an upgrade. Maybe I could just uh, flirt with my coworker a little bit just to make me feel a little bit more secure about myself. Maybe I could just get something that, my, that feels a little broken in my relationship from somewhere else. We start doing the research, what's this going to cost me, what's this going to look like, and we look elsewhere. And then others of us have found ourselves just putting the mattress on the floor and living with that. The bed frame is broken, the structure that holds our relationship together, something has cracked in it, and we've just decided that having the mattress on the floor is good enough. That's how we're going to live, it's just going to be okay, our marriage is nothing special, it's just fine, it's just on the floor, it's just whatever. And sometimes we land in one of these two camps when really what we need to do is start to fix the broken pieces of our relationships. We can actually do the work to put it back together, get the structure there once again, and fix what was broken. So I want to talk about three different ruts that we can fall into as married couples and what it looks like to actually not have these as a distraction in our lives, but something that we can fix. And the first one is this, it is conflict. Whether you are dating, engaged, married, you are going to hit conflict. You know, one thing I hear from most dating couples and something I would have said myself when Brandon and I were in a dating relationship is that their communication is fantastic. Communication is not a problem. Communication is great. We have such strong communication. Everything is great. And, and oftentimes, People in dating relationships are communicating all the time. Brandon and I used to spend hours on the phone. I'm like, what did we talk about all the time on the phone? But I want to tell you that there's a difference between talking and communication. Because often it's these same couples who then enter a married relationship and they're going, I don't know why we're disagreeing all the time. I don't know why we're fighting all the time. I don't know why we're just at odds with each other all the time. Because your communication needs some work. You see, we communicate with our entire bodies uh, with both what we say and what we don't say. It's all communication. You know, there's this, um, this researcher in relationships, and really he's, he's done incredible research with relationships over the years, and his, his name is Dr. John Gottman, and he talks about these four horsemen of the apocalypse, these four horsemen that creep into our relationship and cause issues in conflict in our relationships. And these four come up all the time. And, and listen, as I go through these, we just need to put the elbows away, okay, church? We want to put the, we're not going to be elbowing our spouse as I talk about these like, oh, did you hear that? That's exactly what you did. That's what you did last night. That's what you... The first one is defensiveness. Oftentimes we can become so defensive. I know this is something I struggle with. When there's feedback given or a remark has come at us and, and we just feel so defensive. Well, I didn't mean to do that. I have excuses. I have good reason. Let me tell you my list of reasons why I did that. It's not my fault. It's nothing I did wrong. And we get so defensive because we get offended. And we need to realize that offense is a choice. We get to choose how we respond. But defensiveness is one of these things. Stonewalling is another one. Basically what happens in this case 
place is that uh, the person gets completely overwhelmed. That's called flooding. You get flooded by the amount of information that is coming at you, usually in, in a very fast uh, a pace, maybe with an argumentative tone, maybe with yelling, and it's just coming at you. And come, This is what you do. This is what you don't do. This is who you are. A lot of men tend to get flooded really quickly, and then stonewalling takes place. I'm just not going to say anything. I'm just going to put up a stonewall, and maybe she'll stop, and maybe she'll go away, and then I can breathe again because I can't handle this, and if I say anything else, it's going to get worse. So I'm just going to put up this stone wall. Then there's something called contempt, which is basically this feeling of superiority for someone over someone else. So this is where you kind of roll your eyes. You're just, oh, oh gosh, are you seriously going on about this again? That's contempt. It's the nitpicking the uh, the words and the sentence choices that are being made. If someone makes a mistake as they're arguing with you, it's like, oh, I'm just going to point point that out just to bring you down another peg. That's the superiority of contempt. And then there's criticism, just being so critical of everything everything that someone is doing and just just nagging and criticizing. And these four horsemen come into conversations and they come into arguments and it makes it almost impossible to move forward. If you don't start to recognize them, you just start to go around in a spiral of these four things and you can't get anywhere as a married couple. You get gridlocked in where you are and you just get frustrated. But we actually see these in scripture as well. In Ephesians 4.29, we see criticism. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Defensiveness, Proverbs 17.27, the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Contempt, Proverbs 18.3, when wickedness comes, so does contempt, and with shame comes reproach. The words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. Stonewalling, we can see David shutting down in Psalms 143.4. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. Hopefully the enemy is not your spouse in your situation. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. You see, conflict is going to come up in your relationship, whether you argue loudly or you just avoid one another and pretend that that's not conflict. It is conflict in your relationship. And there's two types of conflict I want to quickly talk about. The first one's perpetual. These are ongoing issues in your marriage. In a dating relationship, these are things that are important to actually recognize, not just to totally get caught up in the falling in love, letting other people into your relationship to see what's going on. And it's important to actually analyze, can I live with this? And if the answer is no then you need to get out of that relationship because being married lasts a really long time. So make sure you're thinking about that. But in a marriage relationship, we actually have choices within disagreements. When you choose to get married, you choose to let problems into your life. That is part of being in a relationship. You are two different people coming together as one and there's going to be issues. But the difference is how you cope with these problems. We often try to solve perpetual problems by going around and around and arguing about them over and over again. This leads us to get more frustrated, more hurt, more distrustful. We start to get emotionally disengaged. We start to feel like, how can you possibly think that? How could I have married someone who thinks so differently from me, who just doesn't see the absolute obvious fact that this is the way it should be? How in the world you start to lose trust for your spouse? The arguments start to become more heated. 
There's more criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, contempt that come into it. And over time, there's more and more emotional disengagement. There's more and more trust that is taken out of your relationship. Sometimes stubbornness can take over and perhaps you even agree to disagree and you promptly just shove the, the discussion under the rug so that you don't have to deal with it anymore. But how many of us know that if we do that, it actually creates a bunch in the rug and you're going to keep tripping over it time and time again. Perpetual issues are not ones that necessarily need to be solved, but we need to come at them with love and respect. What does the Bible have to say about this? Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. John 15.12, as we read earlier, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. There are so many verses in scripture that talk about loving one another, but how often, church, do we look at these and we go, that's for someone else. That's the person at the drive-through window. That's for the person over here. That's for the person that, that just I, I see at work once in a while. Those are the people I'm supposed to love. And we totally neglect to see that we actually are called to love our own spouse in this way. It's a choice. We need to start to be able to navigate these challenges in a way that respects one another. We can actually kind of tease one another about this a little bit more. Oftentimes, this is personality issues. One person loves to go out all the time. One person loves to stay in. Instead of being critical of that and, and defensive about that and all of these things, why don't, you, why don't you talk about it? Why don't you tease one another about it? Why don't you see the good in it and actually realize that it's not just a problem. It's your spouse who you can choose to love. Then there's solvable problems. There's things that we can solve, and we need to solve them well. And we need to do this by softening our startup. It's one thing when your spouse comes home late and there's an issue with that to go, yep, 20 minutes late today. Wow, I thought you set a new record yesterday, but here we are, 20 minutes. That's a new one, I think. It's different to say that than it is to, to actually welcome them home and then later say, hey, I've noticed you've been late kind of all week, and it's really kind of breaking down my trust that when you say you're going to be here, you're actually going to be here. And I'm just wondering what we can do with that. This is just kind of how I'm feeling about it. It's a very different conversation that you're going to be met with when you soften that startup. We need to learn how to make repair attempts in the relationship. And this can look like teasing one another in the midst of it. This can look like uh, it looks different for different relationships. And you'll kind of figure that out for your own marriage. But notice those repair attempts and lean in on them. For Brandon and myself, we were out on Valentine's Day and we just stopped at a restaurant really quickly. And I was like, okay, we're going here next. And this is, how oh, pull into this parking spot. And, went, and he's like, man, you're being kind of short with me tonight. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't really notice. I didn't really realize. And, and we, went, we went into the restaurant, and, and the night went on. And then we were headed to someone's house afterwards, and, and we pulled up, to, uh, pulled up to the sidewalk, and he let me off in someone's driveway. And he's like, okay, get out. And I just looked at him. I'm like, babe, you're, you're being really short with me tonight. And we kind of laughed about it. And that right there is the example of a repair attempt. We just, I just bring things up too soon. That's how we repair things in the relationship. But you know these things because they allow you to kind of break the tension and laugh and reconnect. We need to repair in our relationship. We need to be willing to process anything uh, that goes on so that they don't last too long. Basically, we need to be kind to one another. 
is what it comes down to. We need to treat our spouse at the very least how we would treat someone that we've invited over for dinner. If they broke a glass, we wouldn't be critical. We would get them another glass. If they forgot their keys as they walked out, when they came back, we wouldn't say, oh, you're such an idiot that you forgot your keys. We would just give them the keys. We need to at least be kind to one another. You've chosen to share your life with this person. The least you can do is be nice. And it's easy to go, but you don't know what they did. You don't know who they are. You don't know all of these things. We have choices. Luke 6:31. do unto others as you would have them do to you. The message version here is a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you. Then grab the initiative and do it for them. We just need to do these things for our spouse and make the choice ourselves and how we engage in conflict. The rut of conflict is not one that we have to find ourselves stuck in. It doesn't have to be a distraction, arguing and being frustrated and critical and defensive constantly. Because this will distract us from the plans that God has for us. We will stay angry with our spouse instead of freed up to actually be able to step into what God has for us. We need to talk about it. We need to learn how to deal with it. And we need to actually get out of the rut of conflict. The second rut I very quickly want to talk about this morning is sex. Sex is another rut that you can find yourself in in a relationship, whether it's absent from your marriage or it's being engaged in in the wrong context or there's sexual sin in your life. It can become a huge distraction from what God has for you because sex is so closely tied to shame. We often connect these things. You know, church, I really believe that that every positive thing that happens in our relationships, every positive thing that, that goes on is actually part of sex. And sex really needs to, in our minds, and our thought, maybe in reality, sex needs to come out of the bedroom. Because sex is all about connection. If we're only thinking about it in one context, in one way, then we're going to miss out and find ourselves in a rut. We actually need to talk about it. Even when it's mentioned in this context, I mean, some people have been coming to church for a long time, whether here at Slate Church or another church, and this is probably the first time you've ever heard of sex being talked about on a Sunday morning from the stage. We get uncomfortable with it, and it feels like this is a taboo topic because society has made it dirty, and we need to actually reclaim this as a church for what it is. Pornography runs rampant. Shame surrounds people who have had sex outside of the covenant of marriage. People have experiences of sex being used as a tool for abuse. But Genesis 2.25, Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed. The intention of sex was not to have shame connected to it. Maybe on the other side of this, you actually have a great sex life, and, but any married couple knows that there's actually seasons with this. Maybe, maybe life gets busy. Maybe you have a baby. Maybe there's stress at work or a schedule changes. Maybe there's sin. We've made it cheap, accessible, elusive, and pressure-filled, but we need to actually start having conversations with one another about it. In 1 Corinthians 7, 5, it talks about having sex often, and all the married people in this place said, Thank you. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you might devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. We need to actually make time for this in our marriage. 
how you define often is up to you and your spouse. You can figure that out for yourselves. But we need to make time for it. We make time for everything else. And a busy schedule doesn't mean that this should just be pushed to the wayside. Otherwise, it says in Scripture, we can be easily tempted. We can be easily pulled to other things. We can be easily pulled away from one another. We need to make sure that we're having time for this. But we also need to know, church, that it isn't everything. There are a lot of people who are celibate in scripture. Paul even says that he wishes that there were more. You know, you aren't an image bearer of God because you have a great sex life or because you are married. You are an image bearer of God because you are a human being. If you are single, married, celibate, you are whole in Christ. But God is aware of the desires that you have. He is aware of the plans and hopes that you have. And self-control is a fruit of the spirit. If you are not in a married relationship, you have the opportunity to pray for self-control and expect that the Holy Spirit will give this for you. In Galatians 5.23, it talks about this. In singleness, keep seeking God in navigating purity. He made you. He's not ashamed of your desires. He's not ashamed of your thoughts. He's not. But make sure you're giving it to God. You're not just trying to act it out in ways that are contrary to the best that he has for you. There is freedom in knowing that. Another rut that we can fall into as married couples is expectations. Genesis 29, there's this story where Jacob takes off after stealing his brother's birthright. And he comes to Haran and he meets uh, Laban and his two daughters. He gets a job working for them. And, and now he, Laban's like, okay, how do you want to get paid for this? And Jacob has noticed this woman named Rachel. And he goes, she is beautiful. She has these great eyes. She has a great body. I'm just so attracted to her. I will work for seven years. How romantic is he? I will work for seven years if I could have her hand in marriage. And so that's the deal that they make. And seven years go by. And there is a twist in the plot that takes place. Finally, Jacob is ready to marry Rachel and they have this wedding. But the next morning when he wakes up, he notices, and I don't know the logistics of how this all happened, but the next morning is when he notices that it was not Rachel that he married. It was Leah that he married. And Leah was the other sister. She was the older sister. And he's like, what the heck? This is not the woman that I was expecting to marry. This is not what he expected. You know, expectations be can become messy in any relationship. Jacob didn't expect Leah to be there in the morning. Leah didn't expect to find herself in a loveless marriage. Rachel, who also ended up marrying him, this is like Old Testament, guys. Rachel didn't expect to not be able to have children. Rachel and Leah didn't expect to be at odds one another, full of jealousy and competition. And although many of us don't find ourselves in this exact situation, all of us can find ourselves in the rut of misplaced expectations. We all bring expectations into our relationships, whether we are aware of them or not. And it is our job, church, to grow in our self-awareness so that we can become aware of them. Our family of origin affects this. Our experiences with other romantic relationships, the relationships we see in life, the, the things that we see in society... We need to make sure that we are voicing our expectations to one another and to grow in self-awareness. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives. Your spouse cannot read your mind. You can't hold your spouse against something that you never voiced to them. That is completely unfair. We have to start knowing our own expectations, getting real with ourselves, and talking to our spouse about them. Jacob was not satisfying Leah's need for love. 
But God saw that and he favored her. Even if you are in a relationship with unmet expectations and it feels like nothing is budging, I think it's important to recognize and say that there's exceptions to everything when it comes to marriages. I'm just talking generally. But if you're in a place where you feel that there are unmet expectations and you've talked about them and, and they keep not getting met, recognize that God sees you and can satisfy the needs of your heart. Make sure that you are not putting your spouse in the role of savior in your life. A few years ago, I recognized that I was expecting things of Brandon that I should have been looking to God for. He couldn't be my savior. He couldn't be my only security. He couldn't be my constant help. He couldn't be the one that always constantly lifted me up. That was not his job. His job was to love me. I needed to actually have a savior and look to that and know that God has greater plans and understands your relationship. Jesus didn't come out of the line from Rachel. Jesus came out of the line from Leah. And I think it's important to recognize that even if the marriage you're in is not what you expected it to be, there is still hope and God still has a plan and purpose for your life. And very, very, very quickly, just to close off this morning, I want to talk about relationships. We've been talking about ruts, but I want to talk about what it looks like to have biblical, godly marriages. See, God doesn't want your relationship to be a distraction from all he has for your life. He wants it to be something that deepens your relationship with him. And we have the opportunity, church, to find ourselves in holy relationships. But this doesn't always seem easy. You know, in Ephesians 5, we just read about uh, a man leaving, a, uh, leaving his parents and, and being in relationship and coming together as a, with his wife and being one flesh. But, you know, there's these verses that come before that, that can feel really uncomfortable, where it's talking about submission, and it's talking about uh, love, and it's talking about these ideas that can feel a little off-putting. You know, I was preparing for this message, and I was reading about this, and I, I felt myself going like, oh, as an independent woman, as someone who loves to be able to do things for herself, as, as I'm like, I don't like this. And I don't know if you've ever read and thought about submission and have gone, I don't like this. And you're challenged by it. And I really felt the Holy Spirit say, you know what, Emma? You need to talk about it. You need to talk about what this looks like in the church. You need to talk about what this looks like in 2020, in the 21st century, because it still applies. It can sound oppressive to an independent, I can do this woman like myself, but I want to let you know that it is not. It is the opposite of that. We can't look at a single verse and this full understanding of what is meant by it. Paul compares marriage to Jesus in the church. I'm just going to do a little bit of teaching if that's okay. Paul compares marriage to Jesus in the church. It's not as an oppressive master to servant. It is between the loved and and beloved. That is the relationship that's that he's talking about. There is equality in marriage. If you have been operating in your marriage with inequality, that is not scriptural. There is equality in marriage. Just as in the Trinity, we have God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are all equal, but there's also a hierarchy there. Jesus is equal, as he talks about in John 5, 18, but also says that the Father is greater. John 14, 18. We often look at submission independently, and it's, it's something that we're not comfortable with. But Paul is talking about it in the context of unity. We are actually called to submit to one another. It goes both ways in 521. 
But then on top of that, husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loves the church. That's a whole different level. Jesus actually came, husbands in this place, Jesus came and died on the cross for his people, for us today. That is the extent that he would go to for love for his church. And I wonder, do you take time to think about how you could be loving your wife better? What does that actually look like tangibly? It's one thing to say, yes, I love my wife. Do your thoughts reflect that? Do you actually think about what could I do today to make her life better? How could I love her more? How could I love her? Have you ever asked her that? How do you want to be loved? How would you know that I'm loving you well in this time? How would I know that I'm loving you well? Do you have conversations about that? What does that look like? But we need to recognize that God has called us to unity in this relationship, but he's also called for submission from wives in relationship. It's not about not having a brain. It's not about ridiculous obedience. It's not about only receiving spiritual guidance from your husband. It's not about lack of access to God. It is saying that this works. There's a deep need within women to be loved. This is a deep innate need for love. This is an element of romance right here. And there is a deep innate need for men to be respected. This idea of love and this idea of respect, Paul talks about this because it is so significant. I love this quote. When a husband feels disrespected, it is especially hard to love his wife. When a wife feels unloved, it is especially hard to respect her husband. What a gift it is to actually seek God and choose to be able to love your wife, and to be able to respect your husband. There's a choice in there. But I don't actually see submission as this oppressive thing that society often talks about it with. And this is something that I've had to wrestle with and something that I've had to struggle with, but I also recognize that this plays out in my own relationship. And it's not just because that's what I always want to do. It's because Jesus has said for me to do it. And I've learned that over time, doing that actually brings so much strength. And I've kind of view it this way, and I'm going to set the mic down for a moment so that I can use my hands. I view it like this. Just picture this for a second. And, and basically, if you catch that, this picture of marriage, I see this as the wife, kind of bringing a strength to the marriage, bringing a so, solid uh, base to the marriage, really. And then I see, though, without the husband, and I'm talking in context of marriage, not singleness here, but without the husband, there's this exposure that's left. The woman is left exposed, and the husband brings this covering that actually covers with love, covers with unity, covers with submission, and care for the woman. It's not that she is not strong on her own. It's that she is covered by her spouse. But then I see this as the husband. And if the woman is not there in the marriage, the husband just falls flat. He needs the respect that is going to hold him up and actually allow him to be the man that God has called him to be. And together, when these things are working properly, we actually see strong, solid marriages that don't fall flat, that aren't exposed, that actually come together well. This is how I picture this working in a godly, holistic way. And I see that as so freeing, so different from culture, but so important. You see, submission, unity, marriage even is not a popular idea in society, but neither is God. That doesn't mean we don't talk about it as a church. And at the end of the day, we need to love one another. That is what we are called to do. This is a big calling. Love one another as I have loved you. 
You know, as a church, we want to see healthy relationships and do what it takes to, to really see that come into reality. I was talking with a couple, just as I close here, I was talking with a couple who are, are years down the road now, have grown kids, but they were recalling when they first had uh, one, their first child, and they instantly became obsessed with him. They instantly became so focused on this child. And he was about 10 months old, and they had really put each other on the back burner, and they were just looking at one another. And it was at that time that someone stepped in and said, hey, this isn't healthy. What's going on here is not healthy. I'm going to take him. You go out for a date. Focus on one another. Look at one another. Actually see what's going on here because you guys are on a bad trajectory. And she said this, God, then marriage, then family. Success and fulfillment of God's plan for marriage. She said it was a very humbling experience, yet it changed the trajectory of our whole lives. You see, I think it's important that we actually talk about this, and maybe I'd be a little bit frank today with us, church, because I believe that this morning could actually change the trajectory of our whole lives if we actually start to understand our component, our place in relationship, the ruts we've been finding ourselves in, and not just leave the mattress on the ground and not just look for other places for an upgrade, but actually start to fix the relationships that we're in. What can we do today, church, to actually grow in healthy relationships, to grow in healthy relationships with one another so that we can grow in healthy relationships with God. Why don't we stand in this place this morning? Welcome to Slate Church Online. We're so glad that you've joined us. We pray that wherever you're watching this from, that this message will bless you. If this message impacts you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory at slatechurch.com.